Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here on a sunny day in a rather deserted city of Westminster as once again we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. I'm Scott Chaloner and I'm joined on the air today by William Barrett-Bell. William is the co-founder and director of Barrett-Bell Limited, a training and development company based in Stevenage and Watford that specialises in domestic gas qualifications within the UK. William, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Thank you very much. Now, um, the purpose of this podcast, William, as I say, is to uh, get together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership as a whole. So what I'd like to understand is what that word leader actually means to you, because leadership has many different faces, doesn't it? Correct. Um, I suspect for me, a leader is somebody that has the vision um, and the ability to be able to see strategically where the company's direction is going. But just as importantly, somebody that has effective communication. Um, and I think probably the communication aspect is probably paramount in all the decisions that I personally, um, along with my wife, undertake when it comes to our business. Communication is really important in times such as this as well, isn't it, with the ongoing COVID-19 situation when we're not working in office environments, contact is very much limited and we're having to work remotely and maintain relationships with colleagues. Um, that's also um, it makes it really, really important. Oh, I, without a doubt. Um, I, I like to think that we're um, actually very proactive in our ability to be able to communicate with our staff. Um, obviously, for us, it's changed tremendously, <laughs> even over the last six weeks, whereas we used to have a lot of face-to-face communication between ourselves, our staff, our learners. That ha- actually has no longer been the case. And obviously, we've had to look at new platforms that we can develop and what we can use to keep that communication going. Um, and we try, obviously, to be as effective in that as possible to keep our staff engaged, along with the learners that we may have over a period of time. So if we were to talk about your own leadership style then, William, it's very much people-orientated, isn't it? Very much focused on maintaining communication, maintaining that sort of close-knit feel. Oh, without a doubt. I think that um, to be an effective leader, you need to be somebody that people can actually think that they can come and talk to um, and I like to think that alongside my wife, we have the ability to be able to communicate effectively. These times, as you rightly say, are unparalleled. Well, they're just unprecedented, aren't they, in terms of where we are. Mm. Um, if we go back, if we go back even eight weeks ago, I couldn't for the life of me foresee a case of where we would now be actually trying to reopen a business um, alongside the government's requirements for obviously safeguarding and also social distancing. Um, but it has presented us with challenges. But nevertheless, I think with the ability that we have to communicate alongside air, the latest technology, that's given us an opportunity to be able to deliver that. And I'd like to think that we're bringing people along with us as we do, as we actually undertake that process. I think bringing people along with you is an important element of being a leader. And they do say that you learn a lot more about those around you in times of adversity and difficulty than you do when things are going well. And it's often it's been said as well that it's been a learning curve, this whole period for businesses, business leaders alike. Um, is there anything that uh, you've learned about your employees that's maybe been a surprise to you during this time? Yeah, um, I obviously understood right from the very start because we're a family run business that the people that actually work for us are kind of the bigger family, if you like. Um, and from that point of view, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely overjoyed with the fact that every single one of them has endeavoured to actually support what we're trying to do. 
Um, I don't think there's been a case once where we haven't had somebody that's had any negativity with it. We've tried to be positive the whole way through. And I think going forward, I think positivity is something that we need to really, really be, um, be looking towards to get us through these times. I think we have to be positive and see that there is an end to this and that we can actually get back to some semblance of normality. Um, and in that way, obviously, take the business with us. That, that is my hope for the future. Positivity is certainly uh, very, very important. Um, even amid um, all of the uncertainty, uh, business has to prepare. It can't just um, sort of sit and wait really for things to uh, to happen around it. Um, we've talked already just now about how it's a an experience which has really pushed people out of their comfort zones and really stretched them and it's brought the best out of people as they've mucked in and just got on with things. Do you think that that's a vital experience in one's development, both as an employee and even as a leader, to go out of your comfort zone, have the experience of dealing with difficulties? Because that really strengthens your resilience, doesn't it? Correct. I mean, adversity always brings out the best in people, doesn't it? Um, And obviously, from our point of view, I think that I've learned a tremendous amount from this, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I used to think in the past, obviously, from my point of view, that the business was was working in the way in which we'd actually developed it and devised it. Um, so to have to now face a completely different set of circumstances and utilising different methods now um, to engage with people, not just our staff, but with our learners, and to keep them up to date and obviously to bring them along, now has obviously raised to me a lot of questions around, again, going back to our communication, how we can actually improve that communication even further by enhancing these skills that we've now developed, um, that we've had to develop, um, because obviously we wasn't reliant upon them in the past because of the face-to-face communication. Mm. But going forward, I can see now that we're going to have to use a lot more diverse communication tools, and we're going to have to obviously communicate in a a somewhat different way. That's quite clear. Absolutely right. Leaders have to be willing to um, adapt themselves and adapt their business, don't they? And if it is true what people are saying at the moment, that this could be a real change, um, a real turning point, if you will, um, in the way that we operate and the way that we do business, business is going to have to adapt in accordance with that. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, as I said, just, just said to you, I mean, we're in the process now of re- rearranging every single aspect of the delivery that we've put forward for our learners. Um, we're having to now look at methods by which in the past probably we wouldn't have even thought about because they weren't required. But going forward now, obviously, we need those those aspects. And again, we need to bring the people with us so that they understand why we're doing it, what we hope to achieve, and where we hope to get to by the end of this crisis, if I could put it that way. Absolutely. And um, we talked about your leadership style um, a great deal, uh, William, and the importance of uh, taking people with you and almost inspiring in a way, I suppose. Experience is one great teacher, as we've already discussed. But what would you say are the other influences behind the leadership style that you've now taken on? Um, I think adaptability is probably the most important one of the lot. Um, in as much as that, obviously, I'm, we are trying to be as adaptable, as flexible, Um, as resilient as we can, whilst at the same time continuing to focus in on the needs of the learners, um, but also in some respects of the country. Um, Simply because of this coronavirus, it's obviously meant that we're now not in a position to be able to put forward the people that we haven't got currently 
so that they can take up the positions that they need to take up within the within the within the country to support the infrastructure. Um, I mean, obviously, at this moment in time, because we're a gas-dominated company, we actually put forward people that will go around to support the key worker aspect of keeping people warm, comfortable, supplied with what they need. And from my point of view, that has changed. So we need to be able to show that we are still capable of doing that and bring people forward and, and, and actually putting them into the right roles in the right time, in the right positions. I think that's absolutely right. And um, a bit more of an abstract question now, William, but if you could actually go back in time and maybe speak to yourself 10, 15 years ago, is there anything based upon the experience that you've accumulated that you would tell the younger you to do differently? Yes, I would actually tell them to sit back, reflect and think forward in terms of what is it that you actually are trying to achieve here and think about what could possibly be the adverse effects of that, simply because nobody knows what's around the corner, Mm. as this is proven. And therefore, rigidity isn't something that you can actually rely upon anymore. And whilst we tend to get stuck in our own specific ways that we carry out things, I think there's one thing that the youth of today will need to be able to do, and that is to be flexible, resilient, and more importantly than anything else, the ability to communicate each other so that they can actually support and guide each other through what may be these um, Tory times. You make a very valid point there, William, because um, it is a period of self-reflection at the moment since we have all been uh, working remotely. And uh, I think it really has dawned on a lot of people, the limitations of us as human beings, that we are fallible, aren't we? We aren't going to have all of the answers, especially now with all of this uncertainty. And as leaders, leaders come under a great deal of pressure, don't they? Because employees look up to them for them to have all of the uh, answers, all of the solutions. And that's just simply not always going to be the case, especially in a time like this. No, but what I would say is that if you are capable of looking strategically at your business and you're capable of actually looking at where you're actually trying to take that business, there's always a way in which you can bring those people with you by explaining your thoughts, explaining your vision, and also in terms of gaining their acceptance of what you're trying to do so that you're moving along together as one unit and not as individuals. Links back to that word transparency, doesn't it, as a leader? I think that's incredibly important, transparency and openness. Yes, it does, without a doubt. Um, Obviously, we try to be as transparent as we can with everybody, staff, learners, people that we work with. Um, And from that point of view, as long as we're actually telling them what we're trying to achieve, and there's transparency there and credibility, I have to say as well, then I think, yeah, we're probably going to get through these these Tory times and hopefully come out on the other side with a business that can be moved forward in its new context, that I have to say. And if we do think about the uh, the future of the business before we do uh, wrap things up today, William, um, do tell me what you imagine the next 12 months will hold for yourself and for Barrett Bell. And also tell me what you hope to achieve in that time as well, not just in navigating the current situation, but also ambitions for beyond the pandemic too. Yeah, my ambitions are is that we continue to support the UK within its requirement for um, engineers that can support our energy sector. Um, I like to think that Barrett Bell will be able to continue to carry on doing that and put people into the right position. Um, I like to think that we can look at how we can support other companies in that aspect. And I'm talking now about the energy companies, especially around the requirements for smart technology. And I'm hoping that we can actually bring those um, skills with us to support that infrastructure 
and to place people into employment. Because at the end of the day, our business has always been formed on the basis of trying to get people into employment that's sustainable and that will actually give them an income that will will guide them or, or support for them through the rest of their careers. I think um, those are some fantastic uh, targets uh, there, William. And what I think would be fantastic is perhaps in a few months' time, once we start to see uh, things change and the situation becomes a little clearer, if we can maybe have you back on the air and catch up on this, just to look at how the uh, the business is actually doing at that point. But for now, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, for now, we are just about out of time on uh, today's programme, unfortunately. But um, I've got to say, William, it's um, been a really insightful and also thoroughly enjoyable experience having you on today's programme. And do um, accept my thanks uh, for taking the time to come on and speak with me today. You're very welcome. And I, of course, would be very willing to come back at any time. That's fantastic, William. It's great to hear. Do take care and stay safe with everything going on as well. All right. And yourself. Thank you very much. Take care. That was William Barrett-Bell, co-founder and director of Barrett-Bell Limited. Uh, Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. A former professional striker, Sir Jeff scored 200 league goals over that, in fact, during his career for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff. And that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, <laughs> I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very 
fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in Sir Ralph Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team 
it is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had the, the impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, Jeff, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but 
overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. On this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but I, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, 
I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to. Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even, uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, the answer is straightforward. answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the, um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and, and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate 
concerned, I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and, when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team. The, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. You know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without? in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top, Managers and lead it, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm. I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.